Catch up with the entire season of Pandora anytime on the CW app or download it on iTunes. You can also watch Pandora in Canada on the Space Channel. Welcome to Unboxing Pandora, the podcast where we take a behind-the-scenes look into the hit CW show, Pandora. On today's show, we're joined by executive producer and writer on Pandora, Steve Krasir. In addition to Pandora, Steve has an impressive resume as a writer-producer for such shows as The Librarians, Castle, Agent X, Team Knight Rider. Yes, that is a thing. And I'm pretty sure he paid for a sizable chunk of his house from his time writing on NCIS. We'll get into all that and an update on Season 2 on today's show. My name is Peter Holmstrom. I'm the writer's assistant on Pandora, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Steve, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, you know, we're obviously here to talk about Pandora. That's, but I, I also am curious um, about how you first got started in this industry. Like, where, where do you come from? Tell us a bit about yourself. See, well, I was driving around the country in my car after college and got stuck in traffic in Los Angeles. <laughs> and uh, I pulled over and I thought, well, maybe the traffic will let up. Never did. You know, I rented an apartment. I stayed here. Uh, this was in the 90s. I'm not going to say if it was early 90s or late 90s. I don't want to completely date myself, but it was in the 90s. And you know, I didn't have any training in college in terms of uh, a degree that led into entertainment. I majored in history oh, wow. at, the University of, at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Okay. I'd gotten into law school in Chicago, but I had a job opportunity in Los Angeles to work as a production assistant on a TV show. And I thought, well, I'll try that out just to see what it's like. Hmm. I was 22 and that job was on Blossom, which was on NBC. And uh, I was only a couple of years older than the stars of that show at the time. <laughs> and then, you know, it was a half hour sitcom. Mm-hmm. And at the time they, uh, it was with Thomas Harris was the production company and they had golden girls, empty nest. It was, it was a big deal to work for them. But in the, you know, working as a production assistant, I got to see what everyone did on the show. Everyone was pretty friendly to me. Um, I didn't have the typing skills to be a writer's assistant. I think coming out of college, I think I could type like eight or nine words a minute, maybe. And that was just not going to cut it in terms of working as a writer's assistant. So mm-hmm. the production assistant job was pretty much the only thing I could get. Mm. I was making $300 a week. And, but, you know, I got to meet all the writers and the actors and the director. Everyone was friendly to me. Like Bill Bixby was the director mm. who was the uh, Incredible Hulk. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of liked what the writers did. I, sometimes I got to sit in the writer's room and kind of watch. And um, I thought, well, that's something I would be interested in doing. Hmm. Uh, the creative part of it. But for me, you know, this was a sitcom and I kind of liked one hour shows better at the time. And obviously to break in, you have to, you have to write. So at the time you had to write a sample script. And back then it was an existing show that was, you know, popular, you know, got awards Mm -hmm. rather than a a spec pilot, which is what you probably would do now. Obviously you would do that now. You wouldn't write a, spec game of thrones yes. even though that might be interesting to read like if your spec was like this is how the show should have ended like maybe people <laughs> will read that right and it, would, and it would stand out but back then so i wrote a uh, x-files which was my oh, favorite nice. show at the time and that was my writing sample 
and it was good enough to get an agent at the time wow. and get me a couple meetings. So back then pitch meetings were open for writers on just freelance assignments. We'd come in and just do one episode. Mm-hmm. This doesn't really happen anymore. But at the time, a 22 episode show would bring in like seven, six or seven people from the outside just to write one episode. Hmm. So I remember the first show I ever pitched was something called Poltergeist, the legacy which was <laughs> yeah. show, was on Showtime. <laughs> and I thought I, I, so they didn't buy anything. And, <laughs> but I had my first pitch meeting and I'm like, that was cool. Hmm. I pitched actually Mark Stern who went on hmm. to like run the sci-fi channel. Yeah. But they were lame and they didn't buy anything from me. I thought I had good ideas. So, <laughs> Then the second show I pitched was Sliders, which was on Fox. Now right. they had already, these places had read my X-Files and, that, and it was good enough to come in and, and pitch them, you know? So they, they don't even know who you are. You know, it was no, no recommendation or anything. It was just coming mm-hmm. off of reading a script and then you'd come in and pitch out the whole thing. Now they wanted like really detailed pitches which had like, yeah, I had to give the teaser, all the act breaks. It was pretty detailed, three different mm-hmm storylines normally you don't need that much detail but i guess a lot of people were coming in the sliders and not really pitching as much in details they needed yeah so also at the time the show was on fox and they were shooting you would think it was season four and they were shooting here in la at universal mostly they've been previously in canada so at the time i guess the network wanted a lot of episodes that kind of basically were like kind of movie ripoffs, you know, mm. like they did like a Jurassic Park episode. And <laughs> so my movie ripoffs were, I think I did something like a superhero thing, which did I pitch that one? I think that the first one I pitched was like, basically like the swarm. It was like, what if killer okay. bees existed? Yeah. You know, which was sort of like a disaster movie thing, but now that murder hornets are popular again, <laughs> they're popular now that they may have go, go for that one. But so I pitched the whole thing and, and they were like, no and then they're like the second one i started pitching and it was i had to do superheroes it was kind of like fantastic four okay and i got cut off in the middle of it and they said no this is too much like an episode of lois and clark <laughs> just one specific so episode one left. <laughs> I, yeah i had one left and they, and i pitched him basically um dawn of the dead oh wow or they they had said you know it's a world where the sliders go to a world where a weight loss drug had turned everyone into a zombie. Huh. And they're like, oh, this is like Dawn of the Dead. I go, well, that's actually like I Am Legend, the, no- the novel by <laughs> Richard Matheson. And they're like, what is that? And they didn't know what it was. This was 1996. Yeah. 1996. So it was before Walking Dead and all that kind of stuff. So right. I should have been pitching a whole series of this or a right. comic book. Yeah. But it was just one episode. So as I was pitching it, they started asking me questions. These are the exec producers of the show. And David Peckinpah, who passed away a few years ago, he ended up directing this episode. So anyways, hmm. that, th- that third one, they ended up buying and I wrote a story outline and they couldn't let me go after the story outline. They told me if you don't turn in a good outline and we just give it to one of our writers on staff and they, mm. then you're gone. But they huh. liked it enough that they let me write the first draft of the script. There was some characters like John Reese Davies who was on the show. He got killed off the w- episode before. So he was in my script and Oh, they, had yeah, to make wow. that, they had to change that. Right. So a lot of the fans of the show, there was a website called Jump the Shark. It's like, when did the show get bad? And it was basically my episode because oh, no. he wasn't in it anymore. So oh. 
I was getting internet hate back in like the late nineties. Whew, rough. But I didn't care. I was like, my first episode got produced. I went sure. to the set and we were shooting at the VA hospital in Westwood and I met mm-hmm. Jerry O'Connell and the whole cast and everyone's real friendly. Mm-hmm. I looked at the script and it was like, you know, aside from my name on the cover and a couple thes in the script, like it was all pretty <laughs> much changed. But yeah. I was like, hey, it's getting made. Yeah. You know, so I had my first produced credit, which is, you know, everyone's got their whole break-in story, but like that was it and it could have ended right there. Right. I would have been pretty happy, you know, but I'd be able to extend it out. I got some other jobs afterwards based on, you know, Sliders was a pretty popular show at the time and it was on Fox. So it was right. a great credit, great credit to have. And it was, you know, opened up doors for me on other shows that the, they took a chance with some new guy who had a stupid movie ripoff idea, you know, <laughs> zombie world. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so, so curious because I was looking over your IMDb and you'd written a number of episodes for the second Knight Rider reboots. And I'm so curious about how that all came about. <laughs> it began when one man and one unique car waged a war on crime. Now five fearless agents and five supercharged vehicles are taking it to the next level. With five times the excitement and five times the attitude. Let's take it to him, beast. Holy. Get ready to ride. Team Knight Rider coming in October. Check local listings for time and channel. I don't even know if it was. They might have done a Knight Rider movie in between. They done a Knight Rider movie and they had tried to do a Knight Rider pilot reboot and that hadn't got picked yeah. up. So this was the second attempt to do. And so. So curious. Yeah, so I, I've always been a big fan of Knight Rider when it was on. I used to watch it in the 80s, and, you know, Glenn Larson, the creator, was a name I recognized before I moved out here. Yes. Same with guys like Stephen Cannell, Don Belisario. Like, I used to watch their shows, and at the end, it would say executive producer Glenn A. Larson. Mm-hmm. So I'd already been on Sliders, and then my agent, I guess, represented the, the guys who were running Team Knight Rider, and they're like, you should, you should meet Steve he's just did an episode of sliders and blah 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 so i met i met with uh rick cop and david goodman who mm. i'm still f- good friends with both those guys today this is in 1997 right after oh, wow. sliders and and david's the president of the writers guild right now yeah. so i don't want to say anything bad about him <laughs> he's done a right <laughs> but, you know he's done a right who knew who knew <laughs> he would go on to such big things <laughs> but you know the same thing i i came in a young guy was enthusiastic and had good ideas for their show, which was a new version of Knight Rider. And I, my first episode kind of linked the old show with the new one. And they're like, you know, I think they felt like this guy's like really passionate about, <laughs> they, as shocked as they were about the, he was really passionate about the original show. Yeah. So, you know, I did the first one. They were so happy with me that they didn't have the money to put people on staff. So every episode of the 22 episode season was freelance, but they kept using mm-hmm. me. So I did, I knew I did five and I wrote the, season finale with those guys yeah wow so uh, you know and it was a very difficult show to produce in terms of budget and um, mm-hmm. obviously with expectations you know right people <laughs> you know what to expect yeah so it was back when they were doing a lot of syndicated shows which is that model sort of back in a way mm-hmm. i mean even fem, you know even stuff i worked on you know pretty recently even if it's on cable or streamer it's sort of like a syndicated model you know yeah even Pandora. So they shot it in LA and I, uh, that time I went to set and I was asked to leave. They did not want the writers. <laughs> oh my God. Not, not, 
not Rick and David, but the, there was a production unit that was like, they were in charge of making the show and the writers were off at, at the Universal backlot. Huh, interesting. Um, uh, Rick and David. So yeah, I mean, and like that show opened up doors. I worked on Nightman, which was a Glenn Larson show. Mm. Glenn knew, Glenn, I told Rick and David like, hey, can you contact Glenn? Because Glenn was just a producer on Team Nightman. Right. I said, Glenn, you know, you, could you guys call Glenn? Just have my one to go meet Glenn. Yeah. And, you know, Glenn was a, was a big TV producer and he had the time and, you know, was nice enough to have the time to even meet with me. And then he also liked my enthusiasm and I did a couple <laughs> episodes of Nightman for him, which was a syndicated <laughs> show, right. Tribune Entertainment that I think was on the WB here in LA. Mm-hmm. Was that his, so I think there, that was his last show, I mean, right? they, they, they were, and, and um, you know, Team Night Rider at Universal, they were also doing Hercules and Xena. So there's right. a lot of those types of shows that were maybe didn't have that. They weren't the sexiest shows on TV, but they were, sure. they were doing well and there was a market yep. for them. And a lot of young writers, I mean, Kurtzman and Orsi, I remember they get, people who kept talking about them back in the day, they were working on Hercules and Xena. Like, you should meet these guys. You know, they're like a big deal. They're going to be a big <laughs> deal. Maybe. Sure enough, they were. <laughs> but that was, you know, so Team Night Rider just was my agent hooking me up with uh, the guys who were running the show who liked the, you know, that were, you know, impressed that I'd gotten an episode of Sliders made. You huh. know? Amazing. Now I'm curious because, you know, if one were just to look at your at your resume, you've done a number of different types of shows, number of different genres, you know, and and so it sounds like you you kind of grew up on on genre programming and, and science fiction and things like that. But like, do you have a specific genre that you you gravitate towards naturally with your writing? Definitely like stuff that's, you know, action oriented with a sense of humor about it. OK. You know, when I when I was interviewing on NCIS. Yeah. Um, I told a friend of mine who was a writer on the show who told me about the job opening. I'm like, I don't know anything about, you know, naval personnel, <laughs> crime show stuff. And he's like, it's not about that. It's like when you come, he's like, it, you know, we want people that could do character comedy, you know, NCIS is about a family unit. That's why people watch the show, you know, watch the show each week to tune in to see, you know, Mark Harmon and the rest of the cast, you know, do stuff together. Yeah. And, you know, the first episode I did for them was a, the Halloween episode. So it definitely fit kind of my sensibilities in terms mm-hmm. of blending, you know, character comedy with some action element, hmm. you know, What's rather than, and I learned, you know, I, as I learned, I didn't know, you know, NCIS and C, CSI are very different types of shows. You know, it has that crime element, but there's a bit of quirkiness and fun about NCIS that I think CSI lacked. Mm-hmm. So I think, and then, you know, I met with Don Belsario, who I somehow I hit it off with him in the meeting and huh. he just took a chance. It took, took a chance with me to do the show, you know? So, and I think it's the same thing on some of the other stuff. I mean, Castle is, has a lot of comedy in it. Um, the librarians definitely does. Sure. You know, I mean, VIP was, a you know, over the top goofy <laughs> action show. That right. It was like writing like a comic book, you know? So I think a lot of the stuff, you know, if it's too dry or, you know, a lawyer type show, it's, you know, not for me. Mm-hmm. And on, on a lot of the shows, you know, NCIS, we have like a retired NCIS guy who lets you know, you know, anything you, you might not know as a writer, as a tech advisor. Mm-hmm. Same with the, the LA coroner was our tech advisor on NCIS. So if you had a question, you just email the coroner huh. and he'll, 
he'll uh, fill in the blanks. So I think a lot of these shows, there's tech, you know, we even have one on Pandora. There's tech advisors that are there for you, you know, that could help out in some of the stuff to keep it as realistic as possible and to make it fill in some blanks that you might not, not that you might not know. Right. You know, I got to tell you too, I, uh, I've only watched, I only watched one season of NCIS and there was this period of time where I was really into it and I was watching every episode and it occurred to me when I was looking over your resume, the season I watched was the season you were on. So it's all connected in my life somehow. I've just been following. Well, so, you know, I, was only, I was only on staff <clears throat> for part of one season, mm-hmm. which was like season four, which is, it's crazy. It's in like season 17 now. Yeah, so it's huge. <laughs> so I was only there the one season and then I did two freelance later on. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Don get, let me go during the season. They must have called him during a bad, bad time. Yeah. He was pissed off about something because, you know, I think my first episode that I did for them was was good and the cast all liked it and it was just unfortunate timing. But that was, you know, I think the show was doing well then, but then each year afterwards, it was just keep growing an audience. And I think Don Belisario knows how to give an audience what they want and characters you want to come back to every week. And, you know, I think that's why the show has made it so long. Yeah, you know, it's less of. I mean, there's great stories and mysteries and stuff like that, but people love the character camaraderie of a show like NCIS. Yeah, you know, I'm so curious too because what I remember about your season was, and what attracted me to it is that there was actual tangible character development within that season, right? And so I'm curious. Yeah, and you can Don like you know Don late you know he he had an idea of what he wanted to do that season and uh, laid it out and uh, that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, and I'm curious, like, because in tech, I mean, we could step this out even. You've worked on a lot of shows that are both episodic in nature, but do have a certain through line to them. And so I'm curious about how you navigate that in terms of like, okay, you're turning in an episode of the week, but you're also wanting to service this larger storyline, larger message. You know, how do you approach yeah, that? So, I mean... Well, some, epi- you know, so it's, it's the showrunner who's has to oversee all that stuff. And, you know, in the 22, those, those seasons of NCIS and still are like our 22 to 24. So and not everyone needs to tie into the mythology. Right. I mean, the, ha- the Halloween, the one that I worked on, like, I don't think it was, it was very standalone-ish. I mean, they could show mm-hmm. it on its own, which is great for reruns for a show like that. I mean, they really, you know, if they are too, like a show like Lost, as popular as it was, like you need to watch them in order. Yeah, exactly. You know? X-Miles and NCIS, they have the mythology, but I think any episode at any random time could bring in a viewer. Mm-hmm. You know, you see that teaser. And I remember Don Belsario, like we spent a whole day like just pitching different teasers. I mean, I had to come in to my meeting with him when I was getting hired and and, and pitch him teasers, hmm. you know, because I think that's just how you grab an audience. Those things are so important. Yeah, sure. Actually, if you watch that season, the episode Sandblast, mm. which took place at a golf course, the guy takes a shot out of a sand trap and it explodes. <laughs> he explodes. Like, I pitch that to the room and then they use it for an episode. Like, and then, you know, the, I think Don was like, that's great. I like that. That's great. What, what, what happens afterwards? I go, I don't know. Like, that's why it's good, you know. <laughs> but I, you know, I didn't write that one, but that tied into – Growing up in Chicago, I worked as a golf caddy for mm. 10 summers before moving to L.A. Wow. And I thought, well, what happens if like a golfer 
blows up blows up in a sand trap after a shot like that's so that's like you know so the teaser has to be able to wrap in an audience so a lot of those crime shows and were very teaser centric it was a very important kind of part of the show it still is i mean you know but the uh, but it's the showrunner who oversees the mythology if that's like your you know and, and you know it's it's tough to do over a 22 episode one because how much focus do you put on <clears throat> certain episodes of others in terms of mythology? And also back then there was also sweeps week. So a lot of the sweeps ones were like big ideas that definitely tied into mythology, you know, because yeah. they were looking for an audience. Hmm. And yeah. it's, you know, a lot of seasons now are eight episodes or 10. So it's like, they're very closely linked. You know, I don't think there's many shows outside of an anthology that you could kind of watch out of order know what's going on now it's just yeah storytelling has changed on tv absolutely true because of, because of that whereas you have 22 24 episode season you could show them all out of order and they could run in syndication forever and people could just tune in at any time yeah and i still i for me the jury's still out about which one's better you know like i'm currently re-watching all of the original star trek series and and i'm specifically watching them from like the worst rated episodes to the best rated episodes and it's fine. It works, you know, because it you don't have to track a mythology throughout the way. And right. it, also, it's like it, it's it's how the mythology, you know, like people didn't like the mythology on Lost, so why do they want to keep watching it? The right. X Files, as it turned out, a lot of the mythology ones got too convoluted. So the best <laughs> episodes people like are like a like a Darren Morgan weird standalone episode. Like yeah. it, it resonates with you. So I think if if the mythology, you know, Breaking Bad, people, most people loved the whole run of it and the ending. So yeah. it's different. People will want to watch the whole thing. Right. You know, I, I think the Sopranos, you know, people were mixed on the ending. Dexter, people didn't like the ending. So mm -hmm. it's a lot of it is in terms of how they were able to pull it off in the end in terms of watching it again. So, yeah. you know. I don't know how NCIS will end or some of the long running shows will end. So, but the, there are already enough standalone stuff that, you know, those crime shows, the doctor shows and the lawyer shows are kind of designed to be watched individually. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now um, to jump ahead a bit, like you've done a number of, of partnerships of you've, you've worked a lot with our, with our showrunner, Mark A. Altman. Um, I'm curious about how you guys first met, like how that relationship first started. Yeah. So Mark, I'm sure when you talk to Mark, you'll hear this again, but maybe you'll hear a different, maybe it'll be completely different. Different story. Yeah. I don't remember. We've been friends for a while through other mutual friends we had through the world of San Diego Comic-Con, which okay. we used to go back in the day when it was a little secret to go to Comic-Con rather than everyone going to Comic-Con. You know, so I met him back then. We, we were friends and he was producing independent movies at the time and had a deal with Tom Vitale at the Sci-Fi Channel to do sci-fi movies, and okay. funny enough, Mark's like, "Hey, you know, we Tom wants to do something Blade with zombies. You love zombies. <laughs> do you have an idea? You know, you you want to team up and we'll write produce this ridiculous zombie idea." I'm like, definitely, <laughs> you know. So that was our first team up, was Dead and Deader for the Sci-Fi Channel mm. with, Dean, with Dean Kane, And you know, we shot it in LA. 
And so after that, we're like, wow, we were very efficient. You know, at the time, uh, I'd work all day writing and Mark could do overnighters, you know, before we had kids. So we were like 24 hour writers. So we were cranking on both ends. And it was just a fun way to stay collaborative. Uh, you know, because on a writing staff or even on the show as a, as a freelancer, you're still, it's very collaborative with the other writers and stuff, you know, in terms of like breaking stories and getting notes on scripts. So it's nice to have someone else to work with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we love doing it. And then we started writing some spec pilots, you know, as writing samples, which got us our first staff job together was, was on Castle, the first mm-hmm. season of Castle. And then we started getting hired after that. Huh. Um, on others on other stuff but we had met you know through comic-con friends and then teamed up on the sci-fi channel movie which i don't know what year the sci-fi channel movie was let's look at imdb <laughs> 2006 so we probably shot it two thousand. you know maybe we wrote it in 2005 huh. shot it in 2006 wow and that was yeah, such a so, beautiful time for like sci-fi original movies too they were doing a ton of them yeah you know, so it was like they wanted a lot of stuff like that so you know, it was, this is pre sharks. So it probably would have been zombie sharks. <laughs> yeah. If we were doing it now, but back then it was, you know, blade with zombies, zombie soldier, whatever the thing was. Huh. Then, you know, so Mark and I stayed teamed up after that. We were just very efficient. It was, it was fun. We had a good time uh, doing the stuff together. So we had teamed up since then. Huh. Wonderful. I'm, I'm curious too, like, you know, I went to grad school for screenwriting and I have a lot of friends who are screenwriters and, and we sometimes talk, you know, it's kind of BS about like, yeah, we'll write something together one day, or maybe we'll even help each other out with stories, you know, workshop things. But like, what's it like to actually tangibly be writing something with another person? You know, cause I've never done that before and I've always been curious. Well, a lot of times, you know, we kind of, like I said, we were 24 hour writers at the time. Yeah. Like I was day writer. He was night writer even though I love Night Rider, the show. <laughs> you know, if we can't speak, you know, we kind of would board it out ourselves, the story part of it. Mm-hmm. But when it came to the script, after the outline was approved, we someone would start it and then say I would start it, right? And I'd send it to Mark and he'd pick it up at night and then he'd go through what I wrote and then continue it mm-hmm. and send back to me. And I would wake up early, so like, you know, 6 a.m. I'm back. And I look to see what he did and I continue it and we just go back and forth until we get to the end. Huh. That's most of the time. That's we'll, we'll do like, we'll do it like that. I've split scripts with other writers on staff where it's like, sometimes a writer will take, this is after the outline's done. Someone will write, you know, act one and two and the other person does three and four mm-hmm. or something like that. But Mark and I kind of go back and forth and keep reviewing our, whatever someone had written and then continue it off that until we get to the end. So it was like very, it was, it could be very fast, you know, and we, it, it can't, it can't always work. Cause like sometimes you're like, you know, it's, it, we, we made it work, but I could see where other people were like, didn't like something that someone had changed, but it was like, it was always stuff, you know, that was for the better. It was always making it better. That's great. I and mean, that's a good philosophy to have. Like I, uh, you know, I, I, some writers are very, possessive i find with their with their written word and and i you know that makes partnerships difficult so it sounds like you guys have a very yeah you can't it's, 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 i learned early in tv like i said that i said to sliders i looked at my my script which had my name on it but it was all changed like it's it's very collaborative and things change for whatever reason could be production could it be because it was bad 
mm-hmm. you know, so you can't be precious over the words, you know, the story is still hopefully what you envisioned, but there's always changes for whatever reason. I mean, you work, you see some of the changes we have to do. It's like, yeah. because of the location, sure. change a name an actor is not available or you, you don't know why it's changing. The network wants something switched or it could change on the set with the, you know, if Mark Harmon doesn't want to say something or, you know, he's an exec producer on the show. Pam Anderson on VIP, like they could ask for changes, you know, so you don't know. So So I'm curious. So it's like, yeah. So it's like, you you know, if you go write a novel or what do they say, or paint a picture if you're super possessive on all that stuff. Yeah. It's a, it's a collaborative medium. And I think, you know, movies too, but, more of a director's medium, but TV is pretty collaborative. Absolutely. So uh, jumping ahead a bit, um, Pandora, like obviously we're here to talk about Pandora. Uh, uh, do we have to talk about that? I mean, we don't have to. We can talk about Knight Rider some more too. That's that's fine by me. I'm, I'm good with that. Well, I think they're <laughs> supposedly they're bringing it back. It's like a movie, I think. Yeah, James Wan producing a Knight Rider movie. Um, yeah, I have to, I mean, it's still, it's still a good concept. It's, it hasn't been figured out, you know, in terms of, it, it hasn't what, been figured out what it can't what it can't be so exactly you know. they they keep trying though man they keep trying i'm uh yeah it seems like every two years there's some new company some new station that's trying to do a night rider reboot and i'm right I'm amazed i was i was so shocked when i re, you know did a bit of research the other day and i was I, I saw you know you go down the wikipedia rabbit hole and like the abandoned tv pilot from that preceded your show was actually like a weird cross between mad max and casper somehow and it was yeah i think <laughs> like it was like uh it took place in the future was that yeah. like Rider 20 2010 so there is a weird yeah i know yeah i don't look i'm a big fan of the show i remember the thing but i don't know i couldn't tell anything about it but it was so honestly cool. the log line had me i was like i want to see this this is it sounds bonkers and i'm i'm yeah <laughs> i'm sure it was terrible but uh just the log line alone i was like you know i don't know maybe <laughs> yeah but um anyway pandora um how did you first, were you there from the the inception of it or did you get brought in later for the show? I didn't know if it must be, you know, it was more Tom and Mark were setting this one up, you know, yeah. Mark and I had written some other pilots together, but we, not this thing. So when this was picked by the CW, they may have looked at some other things that we'd written, but they wanted a, a sci-fi show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mark being with his love of Star Trek, like must've had this tucked away somewhere. In yeah. his brain the idea for it so there was i came in later you know at the beginning but you know but in terms of like setting it up it was it was you know tom and mark could talk more about the the genesis of how it came to be mm-hmm. yeah. so you're brought in and then season one as i understand it, it was a straight to series order so it was uh you guys were given 13 from the beginning yeah that's why it's like a you know a syndicated show when they used to order these like you know hercules and xena and team night rider they would order 22 episodes yeah it which is crazy crazy to think it was like they were showing those things they weren't you know they were on the air mm-hmm. you know so vip same thing so this was exactly this was ordered i, I you know they probably didn't know if it'd be 10 or 13 mm-hmm. but if they're picking it up it was going to be a full season and they would air them all yeah you know which is not always it's not the case with the network shows they could get pulled at any time so Sure. It's nice I mean, to have a guaranteed so that they only set on thirteen and that's what they did for the first season. Yeah, and I'm 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 always like I'm still amazed that Amazon for a while had that format of where they would produce a pilot and then they would let people vote on it. 
And then if it voted in, they, then it would be like a year or two before the series yeah. actually came out. And, and yet when you're watching it, it, it live. It was, it, was a gim- it was definitely a gimmick, you know, yeah, and probably got some bu- it got some buzz at the time and you remember it, but it doesn't, in terms of a model going forward, it's not, not the case. I mean, mm-hmm. people vote on it in terms of right away on the internet when things are on. Sure. You know, it's more than just the overnight ratings. You know, it's like, are people watching it on an app? Are people talking about it in social media? There's, I mean, there's a whole different level of, ratings nowadays mm-hmm. rather than how it does the, the next night you know yeah so yeah. definitely the audiences overnight have dropped but the, a show could last if like if the fan base is there or there's merchandising or licensing just other things that tie into it so yeah it's so hard yeah. to gauge a success or failure of a show until basically the season has come out and it's had some time on on streaming services and such and right right um so I'm curious about those those early meetings with with the show. Were, was it did Mark kind of have a general idea of where what the season was going to look like at first, or was it a collaborative effort of figuring out what this what the series was? I think he he had a definitely. I think he may have actually written, the pilot was written, so a lot of it was in place. Uh, the characters, some of the stuff had changed. You know, like John Kim, who played Greg, was originally like a Southern guy, but then we had a relationship with John from the Librarian, so we changed that. But mm-hmm. his fate was always decided. It'd be this big surprise. I mean, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the first <laughs> season, what happens to him. But it was supposed to be like, wow, you thought he was a regular and he's not. I was always in place. It's funny because I wrote the one where he gets killed and some other people like killed off during the season. So I, I think the actors thought like, if they saw my name on a script, <laughs> that someone else might be getting killed. And... um I think I joked to them about the season finale that someone's going to die. You know, someone died. <laughs> you know, number twelve, I think. But it was it, I had thinking it might have been one of them. Yeah, just to mess with them. But in terms of the, I think a Mark had written the pilot. The characters were there. There were some tweaks in some of the characters and a little bit the storylines. But the basic idea of Jack's losing her parents, trying to figure out who she is, coming to the academy, you know, meeting her friends like that was all. That's all. That was all there. So, in terms of like her interactions with the, you know, it developed through the season, but that all the stuff in terms of who she meets and, you know, what's the driving force of this first season was was in place. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm curious. You 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 were on set for about half of the season, I think, and when in final from I got there, I got there when three was filming, and then I I left during the very end of 12. So it was oh, like wow. pretty long. Yeah, you were there for a while. <laughs> too, I was there too long. <laughs> <laughs> it, left, it left scars on you. It left, <laughs> um, so I'm curious, like in final examination, what were some of those lessons that you learned from season one that you've been able to apply for, for season two? Well, definitely, you know, we're working in another country and we're visitors there. So it's, you know, how does a, a Bulgarian crew work differently than an American crew and expectations and stuff like that. So I think coming into the second season, we were able to anticipate a lot of stuff mm. um, in terms of the production, you know, shortcomings that we could try and fix up in terms of filming another country and then how it's a benefit to shoot in another country, you know? And then we also, you know, we cast the whole show aside from John Kim, like basically on uh, video auditions. Mm. And we met Priscilla in LA, but everyone else, you know, we'd never met until we actually got to set. 
because a lot of them are from the UK. And then wow. so, you know, here we are in second season, and we we know you know we know everyone. Like so, yeah. we're writing the show. Like we know who. You know, I think the first few we wrote, I don't think we have cast anyone yet. So. I always say when you write, you're alone, but never lonely, because you kind of have that cast with you, sitting behind you, and you kind of visualize what they're saying. So that that going into a second season is helpful, you know. But I think also due to the lockdown of COVID, like we've had more time to work on the scripts and get them in order for the production, which we're shooting now. Right. And Vince Gilligan on Breaking Bad would always talk about how much time they had in prep to work on the scripts and it definitely helps with prepping and getting everything going to have scripts close to being, you know, ready to go. So yeah, last year we, we were, you know, we had a lot more episodes and it was started sooner, mm-hmm. you know, so some of the, and, and we've seen, I've, we've been out to Bulgaria a bunch and seen the location. So we know what we're writing for, you know, right. or what we can't write for. You know, there's like limitations on how many days out, places we can have access to, you know, so it just makes it easier once it, you know, and I'm not saying season two is easier. We're in the middle of it now, so who knows, but there's a lot, there's a lot we know now going into the second season and directors we've worked with on the first season, actors, and then obviously the whole crew, you know, most of the crew is the same as last year. So it just makes it easier. Yeah, I've always been amazed even just for my limited time on the show that that reading through the scripts the mental image i have in my head of of who the characters are and then seeing the cast you know the casting has always just been dynamite on the show it always it, it they look they act almost exactly like i would imagine and yeah, and got to give credit to you know the casting of the show the cw's these are all new faces for them mm-hmm. you know, obviously we used a couple people that they recognize john kim right and people that they the actors they knew but a lot of them they'd never seen before and they were very it's like they were very impressed so part of it was luck part of it was just good choices and then part of it is just they they have the talent to back it up when they get to set and maybe they know there's not only know their lines they could they could act yeah so it, it's helpful but a lot of them you know so it's it's not only is bulgaria a new location for american audiences a lot of these actors this is their you know first american show it's um, I'm curious, you mentioned before working with directors, I'm, I'm curious about that relationship. Like what, what is it like to be working with directors on, on a show like this, on, on a, you know, from a writer's perspective? I, I think it's, you know, cause before you, the director goes onto the set to start filming, there's a whole week or longer of prep and you, as the writer producer, especially when I worked on staff on VIP, which is my first staff job, I worked with all the directors in terms of like prepping the show, mm. including I'm going to name drop Bruce Campbell <laughs> who directed episodes of VIP. Who's my favorite actor. And I love the guy and got to meet him and he directed two episodes I wrote. So I was like, that was super awesome. But it, it, you know, it, before they start filming, like it, it's the prep stage is very important and I like doing it. I like going out on locations with the director and seeing how they are putting stuff together. And again, it's a collaborative, experience and um it, you know it's crucial to get all that stuff in order before they start filming and then you you know you're there on set with them as well and then you could be with them in post you know mm-hmm. some of the shows 
if you work on staff, you might not be with the directors at all. Some of them you might prep only and not do any of the post, but it's like a three stage process of prep shooting and uh, post-production with the directors. Hmm. And they, you know, it's, you know, like they have a different mindset in terms of things they see and what they're trying to get than, uh, than a writer does. So you hope that they could elevate everything you give them on, you know, the blueprint for making a show. Hmm. And we've been lucky, you know, that, great experience with everyone on Pandora season one. And then the you know, ones who are coming back for this season, it just makes it easier. Like we know we already have a shorthand in terms of, um, you know, producing the show. It goes the same with other shows, like a lot of the directors on NCIS and other shows, Castle, it's a lot of the same people. If you look at the credits, like a lot of them, yeah. especially if they keep coming back, they, they obviously did something right. Absolutely. You know? Now the big elephant in the room, of course, is that we are one of the first shows to to resume filming, to resume production uh, following the COVID uh, 2020 quarantine. Um, so I'm curious how that has affected the show, how it has potentially benefited the show, as you talked about earlier. But um, talk to me a bit about the what's what the you know, talk to me a bit about that. <laughs> well, the, I mean, I'd say the only benefit was the time to complete the scripts sure. and, and uh, add, added time for prep obviously you know people who went out and started prepping and then had to shut down in march like that's that's difficult you know but i have to give credit to bulgaria that they shut down the country very quickly mm-hmm. you know they went all communist mode <laughs> shut things down so you know the infection level isn't nearly what it is in los angeles you know is a small country, you know, so it's different, but they at least seem to be following the rules and made it possible to restart. And then, you know, Phil Roth and the guys at UFO who over there, Bufo in Bulgaria were able to, since March, able to figure out how to get things restarted over there. Mm. You know, you know, things are starting here in the U S but it's, it's a tough process. No, yep. everyone's guessing. So it's, you don't really know. It's like a high wire act. They could go, go bad at any moment so you know they started figuring out how to how to do it and obviously we took financial hits by starting and stopping and there's no extra money from the network because everyone's hurting you know it's like think about the ad revenue on a place like and any of the u.s networks there's not like extra money safety first is what everyone says so every decision comes from safety first at this point going forward you know, and I think, uh, thankfully, the first couple of weeks of filming are completed and no problems. You know, let's hope that it continues. And it, you know, I think the show will be talked about in the future, that it's one that came back quickly and we're able to solve the problems and make it a safe environment for people to work. So, yeah, I've been amazed at just from the little I've seen so far as how, how much precautions we're taking over there and and it's it's very clear that maintaining a safe environment is is the number one priority yeah i mean it's like i'm you know u.s citizen who's going to be traveling to europe shortly Mm -hmm. and like people are just like how could you you know it's it's all because they've set it up on the on the end in europe to be able to get me and a couple of the people from the u.s over there even we did a lot of the actors from the uk like what were the restrictions you know there was the restrictions were changing all the time Right. In terms of being able to travel and quarantines. So, 
it's complicated. And this is just one industry of many that are trying to restart, you know, so just hope that things continue and they, you know, in Europe and in the United States and it, people are able to get back to work safely and, and, and continue. Cause I think, you know, I think people have watched a lot of stuff during lockdown and people mm-hmm. like, you know, you could knock the people watch too much TV. I always feel that people watch a little too much TV and movies, but maybe, maybe it makes people forget for a little bit. If you, as long as you balance it out with some exercise or something right. or some yoga, but I think that this kind of, this entertainment is important, Yes, you know, and I think it's, there's going to be a bit of a dry spell in terms of new stuff, but Very there's true. still a lot of, you know, maybe people will start looking at old classics to watch, you know, so there's a lot of stuff to watch, but things need to keep moving forward again. You know, Absolutely. It's, uh, like I, you know, we've said from the beginning, it's like safety is first when it Absolutely. comes to anything. And everyone should, in every, every business, like that should be the, the driving fact, the driving force. Absolutely. Um, so as you said, a few weeks down, uh, you know, we can't go into too many spoilers, but, but how are you feeling about this season? How are you feeling about how it's all coming together? No, I'm very happy with things. I mean, I've seen the dailies. I haven't been there, but you know, we've had some new sets, some new cast. So I think it's going to be a lot better. Everything's looking good and, and they're making the days there. And I think people are, I know the crew is very excited to get back to work and the cast. And I think just the energy level is is showing in the work from what I've seen in, mm-hmm. in the dailies, you know, and there's, you know, there's some new characters and some people we brought back from last year and, and uh, that have a bigger role on the show. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll see. I think, you know, it's, we're going to know pretty quickly because not, this is a surprise. Like it's the show will be on in October, which is yeah. the turnaround is even crazier than it's ever been. Yeah. Certainly. So, post-production as a has their hands full you know the show is done here in la and i think it's kind of funny that you know they feel they finished filming in bulgaria which is 10 hours ahead and then they kind of wake up here in la and start editing you know they get the footage of what they shot that day you know so mm. it's almost like mark and i were doing the 24 hour day right. night rider thing like this show sort of made the same way it's show shot in the future yeah and then the dailies come back to la the, the, the same morning yeah but I think yeah, the I think you know I think it's gonna be a great season. I mean, the stories are tight. There's a good mix of action and humor and, and emotional stuff. So I think it's gonna. I think we're in good shape. Awesome, very cool. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You've been very generous so far. So we'll uh, wrap things up. I know you are not on social media, so I will not even ask. But um, yeah, like I'm a lo- you know I've got a flip phone and I have yes. AOL. <laughs> email so that, that, that should tell you something right there yes <laughs> sometimes i envy you frankly twitter can be a very depressing place especially right now so it's, yeah or i'm on facebook and there's a lot of you know it's it's obviously highly politically charged and you know for, it's good for people to voice their stuff but it's a bit overwhelming it is yeah. even the media in, in america is a bit it's when you go to bulgaria you're definitely cut off from a lot of stuff it's you're constantly bombarded with the united states and it's it's actually i kind of like that yeah it's like that country they have their they have their problems too so they're you know there's no place is perfect absolutely absolutely um so with that uh we will say uh you know good luck with when are you leaving for bulgaria last that i leave on i don't know when this thing will air that's a good point it could be in the past yeah (laughs) 
point I'm is, leaving a, a week from Saturday. Let's just say I'm leaving a week from Saturday. Fair. <laughs> any numbers out there. Amazing. Awesome. If, right, well, you know, and you know, I have to, I have to test negative for COVID. I mean, right now, if you fly sure. internationally, like you can't have COVID. So the flight is actually safer than a domestic one, it seems like. So there's at least that. So yeah, hopefully I'll be able to stay virus free. Cause as we know, LA is a bit of a, a virus uh, hotspot. Yeah. Unfortunately. It's bizarre. It seems like the numbers. For whatever, for out. whatever reason. No idea. Yeah. I don't know. So hopefully, you know, um, it'll be fine and I'll, I'll get there and, you know, we'll make a good season. season. Yeah. And then, as you said, the season airs in October. So we're less than two months away now. Right. That's, uh, it's coming up. It's cra- It's yeah, it's crazy. Like I said, post-production's got, uh, yeah, it's, it's got their hands full, but you know, at the same time, like, you know, the network needs, needs stuff like this. So the opportunity to be seen sooner than later is great. So, yeah. And it'll be fun. It'll be good times. Good, good time slot. And, uh, I'm very, I'm very excited about it. Um, so, uh, thank you so much for being here. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Um, thanks for having me. Hopefully people listen till the end. If not, well, you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank, um, thank you for listening until the end. If you're still there. Thank you. Amazing. And, uh, I hope you enjoy the shows. Yes. And, and please listeners, if, uh, please give us five stars on iTunes and give us a follow on Twitter at Pandora writers. We're also on Instagram at Pandora writers and you can see some behind the scenes photos and uh, updates about season two. And we'll be back very soon with the next episode of unboxing Pandora. Thank you very much.